Hi, this is Dr. Jonathan Vorce's daughter, Nikki, from Lakewood Family Church. This is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, helps you, and uplifts you. We're here to win the lost, to train disciples, and to make Jesus famous. Hope you enjoy the message today. So today, what we're going to do in the scripture, in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 10, actually 4 through 8, but I threw verses 9 and 10 in there because I feel like that it goes with what we're doing here. But there are what we call or what the scriptures call motivational gifts or what I would call personality traits or personality giftings. And so there's different giftings. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through those seven things today. We're going to study them. We're going to see what they are. We're going to see what's expected of them. And then we're going to have a couple of practical life applications that would happen around the church to see how that they would fit in there. And then we're going to talk about how that we need to work together. We need to give allowances to one another. We need to give some folks some grace. Look at your neighbor and say, I extend to you grace. Amen. So as we get ready to get going here, let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us. You ready? Heavenly Father, we come to you right now and we are so thankful that we have the opportunity to just gather here and to worship you and to magnify you and to study your word. I pray, God, that you would touch me to be able to effectively communicate this word today, touch the ears of the hearers to hear their hearts to receive and understand. And we give you praise for it, Lord. And everyone opens their eyes and says, Amen. 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 All right. Understanding our difference. Look differences. Look at your neighbor and say, Sometimes you're strange. Come on, let's just make this fun. Come on, let's just make this fun. (laughs) All right, some of you men have been wanting to tell your wife that where you wouldn't get slapped for a long time. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 10. Let's read. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. And we've talked a lot about this, haven't we? So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. A couple things there in verse number 5. The word many, the word one, and the word individual. So though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Verse number 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, somebody say that's one, then we should prophesy in proportion to our faith. If service, somebody say that's two, In our serving, the one who teaches, that's three. That's three. In his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, that's four. The one who gives or contributes in generosity, that's five. The one who leads, which would be administration and things like that, that's six. And then the one who uh, has acts of mercy, does acts of mercy, that's seven, with cheerfulness. Now, in the scriptures, we have three different gift lists. In the Old Testament, we're talking about it being a pattern of things to come. In the Old Testament, in the Levitical priesthood, there were three different Levitical Levitical sons. And so there were three different clans, what we call clans of Levites. If you study those different clans and you match them up against the three different gift lists in the scripture, then you will see that they were a pattern. Those three different Levitical clans that ministered in the tabernacle were patterns of the three different gift lists that we find in the New Testament. 
Number one, we have the gifts of the Spirit. Speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives, you know, uh, gift, gift of tongues, gift of, gifts of healing, uh, miracles, faith. Though, that's the gifts of the Spirit. And then we have the fivefold ministry gifts or what they call the ascension gifts. The ascension gifts in theology are the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. That's the fivefold ministry. So that's known as the ascension gifts. Or, and, and then these here are known as the motivational gifts. So we have the manifestation gifts, we have the power gifts, and we have the motivational gifts. The motivational gifts are gifts that many times when we talk about, there's a lot that's said about the gifts of the Spirit. There's a lot that's said about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But how long has it been since you've actually heard somebody say that the gifting that you have is identified in Scripture as well? See, every single one of you will find yourself in one of these gifts. And so that's the purpose today is to look at this and try to figure out what gift that, that we have. So we have prophecy, we have serving, we have teaching, we have exhortation, we have giving, we have leading, we have mercy. And these are all seven motivational gifts or personality gifts which underlie our positions and our manner of service within the body of Christ. Not everyone is called to be an apostle or a pastor or a teacher. Not everyone is called to do that. Some people are called to serve. Some are called to exhort. Some are called to lead. Some are called to have the gift of mercy operating fully in their life. Now, the, the reason that we're going to go through these is because a, a person that has the gift of prophecy views life completely different than a person that has the gift of serving. It's the same way with all of these. We could go down through there and we could say everything, the very same thing about every one of these. A person that, say for instance, and we'll get to it in just a moment, but a person that has the giving gift does not have the same view of ministry as the person that has the mercy gift. The person that has the mercy gift looks at the person that has a lot of money and says, you should empty your bank accounts so we can feed everybody that's hungry. And the person that has the giving gift says, if I do that, then I'll never be able to give again for the rest of my life because I know how to make that money work so I can continually give. And so the mercy gift person just looks at the bottom line. The giver looks at what that bottom line is going to produce. So there's just different ways that people see things. And so we got to learn this so we can understand that we're all part of the same body even though we see life a little bit different. Now this is going to get fun. Are you ready? We're going to start with probably the most difficult one in my opinion and that's the prophecy gift. Even prophets in the, in the ascension gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, even prophets in those gifts have a very difficult time. Most prophets that I know don't have very many friends. You know why? Because their personality won't allow them to. It won't allow them to. Well, what do you mean by that? Because to a, to a prophet, life is black or white. There's no room for gray. A prophet says, well, bless God, this is the way it is. If you don't like it, leave. That's a prophet. A pastor says, well, this is the way that it is, and I understand you see it this way, but can we come over here somewhere and talk so we can understand why it needs to be the other way? That would be more like what a pastor would do. 
uh, an administrator or an apostle would just say, well, let's just organize it, and in the process of that, you'll see the reason why. But the prophet just says, bless God, this is the way it is, and if you don't like it, there's the door. And that's the way a prophet thinks. To them, life is black or white. Every prophet who actually has the gift of prophecy always talks about colors. They'll look at you and they'll say, well, I see yellow on you or I see red on you or I see black on you or I see... And a person that has a prophetic gift many times will have that. And so to them, it's just what it is and there's no room for anything else. And so the prophet, the person that has the prophecy gift that's in the body of Christ needs to really pay attention to a few things. Number one, they need to make sure that when they speak, that they speak in love. Because it's hard for them. And they tell you what's black and white because they love you, but that's not the way that it's displayed. I've struggled with this at times, personally, because sometimes that prophetic gift can kind of get on me. I can get busy and someone can ask me a question. I give them a yes or no answer and they walk away and say, well, isn't he cocky? And I'm like, no, you asked me the question. I gave you the answer. You know, and, 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 you know, Donna and I, sometimes we kind of go back and forth a little bit with that. And, and, and she'll say, you know, I, I, sometimes I just need to know why. And I'm like, okay. So they have to uh, guard against rigidity. They can be rigid. Prophets can be very rigid. They need to guard against being pushy. Prophets are passionate about the word of the Lord. They're passionate about what they feel is right. And so what they're going to do is they're going to try to push things to make things that way. And so they can be pushy and become intolerant of other people's views. All right? And they should also beware of self-image problems. You know why? Because prophets get beat up a lot. The reason they get beat up a lot is because of the way that they conduct themselves. You cannot have someone, you cannot treat someone the way that someone has a prophetic gift treats them and expect for that person in one of these other gifting areas to not defend themselves. They're going to defend themselves and after they defend themselves, they're going to mark you. You know? And so those of us that are around people, once we get to, that's why it's important to get to know someone's heart. You can't just look at the outside of the person. You have to get to know their heart heart. And so if a person has a prophetic gift, they may have a tough exterior, but I found out a person that has a tough exterior, there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, there is either supremely insecure because of what they went through in their life, and so there's a barrier there, or number two, they actually have a prophetic gift, and no one has ever taught them, speak the truth in love, be tolerant of other people, don't try to be rigid, and, and all of that. And so they have these self-image problems. And listen, I'm going to be the first to tell you the truth is the truth and a lie is, the lie is a lie. But the way that that truth is presented determines the way that truth is going to be received. All right? So we have prophets all through the church. We have people that have a prophetic gift. That's, let's put it like that. A prophetic gift all through the church. And those of us that have other gifts, we need to be more tolerant of it. The second is serving motivated people. Now, this uh, servant evangelism, I know Steve Shogren. I met him many years ago up in Cincinnati. He built the uh, vineyard church up there uh, to about 6,000 people. And one day, him and I and another friend of mine were just sitting at a, a round table, and we were at a conference, and it was just us three at that table. He was the speaker, and so we had kind of a little spot where we could talk. And, 
And so we're sitting there and we're talking and I looked at him and I said, Steve, I said, you know, you've built this church to 6,000 people. I said, why don't you plant other churches? And he looked at me and he said, Jonathan, I have, I promise you. He said, we have planted 14 different churches out of this church. He said, every time we plant a new church, we identify an area, we send no less than 300 people into that area to help them start that church. And he said, every time we do it, he said, within six months, the amount of people that we sent there has been multiplied back to us like sometimes three or four times. And so he said, God is true to his word. If you sow, you reap. But if you, if you, and he's not there anymore. He lives here in Florida. He actually lives down, lives down in Brandon. He's semi-retired. He's written a lot of books on servant evangelism. But if you pull into the parking lot of that church in Cincinnati, it's a massive church, across the very top of the facade of that church, etched into it are small acts of kindness can change a person's world. Okay? So, no, small, small, small things done with great love can change the world. That's what it is. Small things done with great love can change the world. And so it's acts of kindness. And so he built that church by teaching people how to stand on street corners with a bottle of water and give them a bottle of water on a hot day. A lot of churches are doing that, but it all started with Steve. It all started with Steve Shogren. And so you all of these different things, they do different things like that. It's servant evangelism. They'll go down, they would go down sometimes to a, co a convenience store and they would go in there and they would say to the person behind the counter, I know that part of your job is to clean the restrooms. Can we take that off of you today? We just want to show God's love. And so they'll clean the restrooms and before they leave, they just take about... 30 seconds or a minute, that's what he says, 30 seconds or a minute and just tell him God loves you, don't ever forget this. So servant-minded people and people that have a serving spirit uh, are always task-oriented. Give me something to do, pastor. I want to do something. So they need to know, first of all, that God has called them to be servant, to be a servant. We're all servants, but there are some people who are motivated by this. And, and so they have to know that God has given them that task, that God has called them to do that. They need to do the work of the Lord. They have to keep their priorities straight, and they have to understand that God deals with people they don't. Sometimes when we invest, I learned a long time ago that the people that hurt me the worst are the ones that I have poured the most into. When you invest your life when you open up your life, when you allow people to have access into your life, when you give and you give and you give and you build and you build and you build and you support and you help and you encourage and all of that kind of stuff and then they turn around and stab you in the back and betray you, that hurts. That hurts. It really does. You know, well, what you want to do as a pastor is you want to say, get them, God. But I learned a long time ago that that doesn't work. You just need to understand God keeps the record. And God will deal with them. A lot of times they will depart and they will leave when they leave wrong. A lot of times they will depart and they'll just flounder around and flounder around and flounder around and never get their ministry off the ground and being exactly what God wants it to be. God did not make any of us to be like footballs where we can't ever tell where we bounce next. All through the scripture, God talks about putting down roots. 
Servant-minded people get task-oriented. When they get task-oriented, then they get sweat equity involved. One of the, I, I, I tell you, I mentioned to Donna the other day, I said, every time I look up, I'm seeing Butch here at the church throughout the week doing stuff. And so I kind of mentioned it to Brenda, and she said, it's good for him. It gets him out of the house. It gets him off his chair, out of the recliner. You know, but I'll tell you what, a lot of this stuff that's getting fixed around the church is butch. Servant-minded, servant-minded. The third one is teaching-motivated people. The Bible said if teaching, let them teach. Teachers must prepare their material carefully because it's very easy to go off into error, especially if you're dealing with a particular area in your life. One of the things I learned a long time ago is I can't get up here and preach about what I'm personally going through. I have to get up here and minister to you based on what you need. And that's the way it is with teachers. Teachers have to be careful that you don't put together a teaching thing based on what you're going through because if you do that, you can get a whole lot more passionate and you can get out of balance. And so everything has to be uh, has to be measured by the Word of God and practical application. Teachers, a lot of times, know more than a lot of other people. But we have to sometimes, teachers know more than the people. You, you've got to know more. You have to know more than the people that you're teaching. You've got to make sure you don't let that lift you up into pride. You know, if you don't know more, when the questions start coming, how are you going to have answers? And so teachers... Teachers love studying. They love information. They love research. We were walking through the Home Depot a few years ago and my son turned around and he looked at me and he said, Heaven, smell that, Dad. Heaven's going to smell like Home Depot. And I looked at him I said, No, son. Heaven smells like a library. <laughs> he looked at me, geek. I love libraries. I like to go sit in a library where it's quiet. I'm surrounded by all of this information and I can just soak it in. I love that. But see, God had to make him the way he made him and God had to make me the way he made me because of the differences that God has. So, so one of the things that teachers have to be, uh, uh, be concerned with is they have to refrain from being dogmatic or legalistic. And we've seen a lot of this in the church. You've got people who go crazy over here on prosperity doctrine. You've got people that go crazy over here on favor doctrine. You've got people that go crazy over here on tongues aren't for today. You've got people that go crazy, and if you don't watch it, it becomes dogma. It becomes dogmatic. That's why the Bible said that we should study God's Word so we can rightly divide it so we won't be embarrassed. 2 Timothy 2, 15. The third thing is exhorters. Exhorters are evangelists. Exhorters to attend towards steps of activity as the answer for the problems. Jesus gave people instructions to follow so they could receive miracles. Exhorters enjoy the journey. That's why they like to travel and preach. They enjoy the journey. Exhorters like teaching truths from God's Word. That would be applicable to everyday living. Exhorters have to make sure that they stay true to God's Word. Now, I have two slides for the giving motivated people because I think there's a couple of things that we all need to hear. And I'm going I'm to share some things with you about giving that you're not going to hear from most preachers. Okay? I'm going to share it with you because it's what the Word says. All right, number one, a giving motivated person, Romans 12, 8, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Givers feel that they're a part of any ministry in which they give. 
They feel that they have the right to be a part of that ministry, and they are. The Bible says that we should not muzzle the ox which treads out the corn. The Word of God says, though, that they that labor in word and doctrine are worthy of double honor. And when you study in its context, that means double pay. It's actually the Word. It's actually what the Word says. The, the, the priest in the Old Testament were the wealthiest people in Israel. They were. The temple had the most money. The temple had more money than the local government in the Old Testament. That's the way that it was. Solomon finally told the priest, stand up and tell the people, quit bringing an offering. We've got it mounded up in mounds in the other rooms. The people had gotten a hold of this, all right? So givers feel that they're a part of any ministry in which they give, and they are right. Good givers motivate others to give because they want to invite other people into the blessing of that. Givers desire that financial needs are met. It bothers a giver. It, now, I'm going to say this. Not, not, uh, this is not anything personal, but I would have said this had it not happened last week. But it bothers a giver when the pastor don't get paid. It bothers a giver when the, when the, light, when the light bill can't get paid on time. It bothers a giver when things don't flow the way that they should, okay? Uh, it bothers givers, and so they try to recruit other people to the cause. They desire to see financial needs be met, all right? Givers cannot stand to be pressured to give. I understand that, and here's what I found out a long time ago. I can get up here... And, and, and it's not in my makeup. I raised money one time in my life in Tweed, Ontario. I'll tell you the story real quick because I have just a couple of minutes here. I'll tell you the story real quick. Tweed, Ontario. I had a guy in my ear for months. If you're going to make it in the ministry, you're going to have to pass out envelopes. You're going to have to have $20 envelopes, $50 envelopes, $100 envelopes. You're going to have to have prayer lines. You're going to have to spend about 30 or 45 minutes. And, and here's what they said to me. One guy actually told me if I said his name, you would know who he was. One guy actually told me, he said, evangelism is 90% money raising and 10% message. And he's extremely wealthy. But he was poor, couldn't, he, couldn't even, he was so poor he couldn't even pay attention when he started. All right? And I just could never buy into that. I just couldn't. I just couldn't. So I listened to him and I had a meeting in Tweed, Ontario and, I, and, and the meeting ran from Sunday until Friday night. And so all week long I was just, you know, doing what they were saying that I should do. Doing what I, they, and the pastor actually had me in because he was one of these shysters himself. We were on a 60-40 split. First time I'd ever done it. 60-40 split. He got the 60, I got the 40. He personally got the 60, I got the 40. That Friday night, I stood up and I told him, I said, if any time during this revival that you ever came up and got an envelope, would you please come up here? And they came. And I said, how much did you give? 20 bucks. Okay, here's your $20. I gave them all the money back. That pastor was sitting over there seething. He was angry. And he looked at me after church. He said, you'll never preach here again. I said, I don't want to preach for a charlatan. I said, I'll never do this again. I said, I tried it one time. It's not me. It's not who I'm going to be. And so good givers, and here's what I learned a long time ago. Givers don't like to be pressured to give. You know why? Because they're going to give anyway. 
And I learned that a long time ago. Here's what I learned now. Now, uh, sometimes, you, you know, you, you make it as convenient as you possibly can because people need different ways to access to give and different things like that. Back years ago, people used to show up with their checkbooks and their money in their pocket. Now they show up with a card. Charge, you know, they show up with a card. They sound like a general charge, you know. So, and, and they go back there. But I learned a long time ago, if I forget to receive the offering. Giver's still going to give. They're still going to give. And those are the ones that keep the lights on. So they don't like to be pressured to give. Uh, givers want to meet other people's needs, not just the churches. Givers are givers in every area of their life. They see somebody that's in need, they try to give to them. Givers want to give high-quality gifts. I've learned that too. Some people don't like, you know, some people get, if you say five bucks, some people say, Pastor, can I give 500? Can I give 5,000? Some people want to do that. Because, you know why? Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And if people's heart is in ministry, then that's where they're going to give. If it's not, they'll hoard it to themselves. Now, here's some of the things that I have learned about giving. And this is some of the things that you're not going to hear other preachers uh, teach you probably. But remember, God is our source, and He's also the source of those we are blessing. So just because you bless someone, God used you to meet that need, but it was God meeting that need through you. Wasn't you meeting the need, it was God meeting that need through you. Years ago in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, I was working for a guy. Uh, his last name was Reed. I won't tell you what his first name was because you might look him up. I don't even know he's alive anymore. But uh, we went round and round. I was about 17 years old on this. And he said, if I take two bags of groceries to your mom and dad, it's not God that provided, it's me. I'm not even a Christian. I said, oh, no. I said, the Bible, the Bible tells us that God can use people even like you. The wealth of the wicked is ours for the taking. So thank you so much, wicked man, for bringing us some food. We're going to enjoy it. You know, and we go back and forth and back and forth like that. God gave you that job when other people can't get a job. God gave you that job, and in so giving you that job, God give you the God gave you the strength. God gave you the knowledge. God gave you the wherewithal. God gave you what you need to earn income so you can give uh, to God's work. So God is our source. He's the giver's source. And he's the source of those that we are blessing. So the Bible said that God gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So there are times when blessing comes into my life that is not for me because I'm a giver. I am the sower. He gives seed to the sower. God puts it through me so he can get a blessing to me. Now God could give it to someone else, but I don't want God to do that. I want God to use me. I want God to use me. Lord, use me. Use me. Remember, others may need encouragement to give. There's others, they don't understand it. Or they're, they just have a rebellious spirit against it. And so they need encouragement to give. Givers should be generous. Now, here's the big thing. They should be generous, but should also maintain balance in their giving. I learned this a long time ago. You can give too much. Some people say, well, you know, you can't outgive God. That's true. You can't outgive God, but you can give too much. There are times when God gives you direction on what to give. 
If you give, you obey Him, the blessing comes. There are times when you just give because you want to give because God put it in your heart. But if God didn't direct you, if you've got, if you have money to pay bills with and you say, you know what, and you're not under the direction of the Lord, it's just because you feel pressured, I'm going to just go ahead and do this. And You're not giving your money. You're giving someone else's money. It belongs to them. Okay? And so guidelines for giving motivated people. Number one, give first. Make God number one priority in your life. Before you do anything, money comes into your hand, give first. I'm teaching you how to be blessed here. Number one, give first. Number two, give proportionally. Don't give beyond your means. Don't give beyond your means. Look at your neighbor and say, never thought I'd hear a preacher say that. Come on. Yeah. Listen, I love you too much to lead you in the wrong direction. Don't give beyond your means. Number three, give cheerfully. And number four, give quietly. Don't run around telling everybody, this is what I gave, this is what I gave. Then the second thing there is to give gratefully. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to give. Lord, I thank you that I have this opportunity. Thank you for, pro for providing for me. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for it, Lord. And then give generously. Now, what is the definition of generously? Generously is as much as you can give proportionally. That's what generously is, all right? Give freely. Don't give with strings attached. Well, I'm going to give this, but... It better go for this and it better go for that and it better go for this and it better go for that. In the Old Testament and in the book of Malachi, the Bible said bring the tithe into the storehouse and give the offering. And so don't give with strings attached. Give freely and give expectantly. Put a demand on the promises of God when you give. You are a giving, motivated person. Put a demand on the promises of God. God, you said that if I give, that you will give to me, pressed down, shaken together and running over, and I receive that. Now, some people, they give and they gripe about it uh, up until the next time that they have to give, and they wonder why God never blesses them. You know why God doesn't bless you? Because you're canceling out your harvest with your mouth. You have to keep the right spirit. You have to keep the right attitude. And if your heart's in the right place, your mouth will be in the right place. All right? So give expectantly. Lord, I'm expecting to receive. I'm expecting to harvest. I receive. Give faithfully. Get into the rhythm of giving. Get into the rhythm of giving. Quit spending God's money. Get into the rhythm. If you make 500 bucks a week, $50 of that belongs to God. It's not your money, it's God's. You're a Christian. If you make 750 bucks a week, $75 of that is God's. Be faithful. Every single week, if that money comes in, that belongs to God. It's not yours. And for people that say, well, this is just an Old Testament principle, you're showing that you're theologically illiterate. Absolutely. Well, I'm not under the law. It was way before the law way before the law, and Jesus himself said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. He didn't say tip, he said tithe. Some people give more to their waitress than they give to God. Oh, Jesus. Give sacrificially. 
At the same time, you've got to maintain balance and you have to give proportionally, but give sacrificially. Some people say, well, you've never given until it hurts. Well, I don't think that you should destroy yourself, but I think that when it talks about giving sacrificially, especially if the Lord is, is uh, calling you to do something a little bit larger, you need to give until you feel it a little bit. All right? And then give personally. Hey, kid, here, take this. Go put this in the offering. No, you give personally. Lord, this is my act of obedience to you, and I'm going to receive, and then give worshipfully. That's discipleship. Giving is discipleship, all right? So these are guidelines for giving motivated people. Remember, God is your source, but he's also the source of those that we are being a blessing to. Remember uh, uh, that others may need encouragement to give, and you should be generous, but you should maintain balance in giving. Everybody said, "Woo, that was hard, but I'll take that. Good stuff. All right, leaders, organizers, and administrators. These are all in Romans chapter 12. Leaders, organizers, and administrators. Uh, leaders and organizers and administrators visualize the overall picture and, and plan long-range goals. They gain satisfaction in achieving these goals and they, because it's the kind of person that they are, they've been involved in networking so they know where to go for their resources and allies to actually make it happen. All right? Love a challenge. Leaders, organizers, and administrators love a challenge. They're thinkers, and they can keep track of the details. They're some of the most irritating people that you will ever meet in your life because everything in their life revolves around their list. Did you do this? Did you check it off? Well, I did it, but did you check it off? I did it. No, you need to check it off. So when someone else looks at that list, they know it's been completed. I said, well, I can see that the floor has been vacuumed. No, check it off the list. Yes, ma'am. Mama D. Not very sensitive. I love her. <laughs> Leaders, organizers, and administrators are not real sensitive to criticism. Because they're interested in achieving goals, not pleasing people. People who are organizers, administrators, and leaders, their priority is not to make you feel good, is to get the task done. It's a gift in the church. It's a gift in the church. Nothing would get done if that gift wasn't there. Number five, respond well to delegated authority, and they delegate authority themselves. So we have a lot of emerging leaders today that are learning how to do these things. We live in a fickle time. We live in a fickle society. You can go boo and three people get offended and leave the church. Or, or you can look at somebody as a leader and you can give the people that you're leading just a little bit of instruction and you hear stuff like, why are you attacking me? I can't believe I'm being disrespected. Why are you disrespecting me? I'm not disrespecting you. I'm leading you. I'm leading you. Hallelujah. And so we're kind of in the massage the ego era here in America, and God's not pleased with that. Let the leaders lead. Let the organizers organize. Let the administrators administrate. And when we do that, there's a gift for that. There's an anointing for that. When we do that, everything just flows along just fine. But we have to be submitted to those that are in authority who are leaders and organizers and administrators. 
And then there's the mercy-motivated people. The mercy-motivated people, most of the people in the church today that I have found in the Pasco area, most of the people think that all the churches, I'm talking about our local congregation, I'm talking about the community as a whole, they think that the church is there to just feed people and take care of the weak people. That's because there's, there is a mercy mentality. Listen, God is a God of mercy and there's plenty of mercy to go around. And there's a lot of people that feel like, well, the church ought to do this and the church ought to do that and the church ought to do this and the church ought to do that. And you look at them and say, well, who's going to pay for that? Well, don't ask me. Well, you sure got an opinion. Hello. Look at your neighbor and say, my pastor loves me. He really does. But mercy-motivated people, that's a gift. They seldom rebuke others. It's difficult for them to correct another person. They're sensitive to words and actions that may hurt other people. They do have a great gift of discernment. They can a lot of times discern the true motives of other people. And they prefer to minister to emotional needs rather than physical needs. Oh, you're hurting. Let's take you to grief share. You're hurting. Let's take you to divorce care. You're hurting. Let's take you to celebrate recovery. You're hurting. And all of these are wonderful and viable and great ministries but they are one of the many ministries that are in the church. Not everybody needs divorce care. Not everybody needs grief share. Not everybody uh, needs Celebrate Recovery. Not everybody, but the people in Celebrate Recovery, the people in divorce care, the people in, in, in grief share, all of that. And, and you could just list them on. You could just keep listing. I'm just using those as examples. Those people in there think everybody needs to go through this. You know why? Because it helped them in their time of need. Thank God it was there. Thank God it was there. But not all of us need that. You see what I'm saying? And so that's mercy motivated people. So mercy is the gift that motivates a believer to feel deeply for those in physical, spiritual, or emotional need and then act to meet that need. Now, let's have just a little bit of fun here before we uh, bring this in for a landing, all right? I'm trying to get through this because I want you to understand the differences. Now, does everyone understand? Everyone understands that what we're talking about here is some of you guys have a prophetic uh, turn to you. You're motivated by that. Some of you are givers. Some of you are mercy. You know, there's all, all kinds of different, you know, some of you are serving. Some of you are teaching. Some of you are encouragers. And we all think different. We act different. The priorities are different. Our view of the ministry is different. Well, the Bible said that we're all part of the same body. Remember when I was reading the scripture to you in the very beginning? Remember I said, pay attention to those three words? You know, one, all, individual. See what I'm saying? So we're all part of one body. We don't all have the same function. We don't all function the same way. We don't all see things the same way, but we're all part of one body. So let's have just a little bit of fun. If seven people meet to organize a church, what are these people uh, going to say? Number one, a prophet would probably say this. We need to have sermons exposing sin and proclaiming righteousness. That's what a prophet would say. The second person sitting at that table of seven would be the server and that person would be, we need to have programs to meet the practical needs of all of our members. That's the server. The third person would be the teacher. Well, we need to have in-depth Bible studies to guide people through the instruction of personally learned truths. Sounds brilliant. 
Exhorter would be, we need to provide counseling and encouragement for every member to assist them in applying scriptural principles to their life so they can grow in God. The giver would be, we should develop programs to provide generous assistance. The leader would be, uh, we need to develop systems and procedures. All leaders like systems. We need to develop systems and procedures to ensure that every program in the church functions decently and in order. And then the mercy giver would be this. Special outreach to compassionately needed uh, meets the needs uh, meet the needs of the hurting and downtrodden should be established. So ministries for that should be established. And so that would be like, uh, that would be those gifted in, in action to want to organize a church. But what if someone drops food on the floor at a church dinner? What would be the reaction of these types of people? Number one, the prophet would say, well, that's what happens when you're not careful. to which the person just wants to go, and the prophet has lost another friend. The serving person would say, oh, let me help you clean that up. Totally different, okay? The teacher would be, well, it fell because it was too heavy on one side. Next time, make sure the weight is equally distributed on the tray, and that won't happen again. That's the teacher. The exhorter would be like this, Next time, let's just serve the dessert with the meal in the buffet line. Amen, exhorter. The giver would be, well, I'll be happy to go down to the bakery uh, down the street and buy a new dessert. It's okay. I'll take care of that. You don't have to worry about it. Well, here's some money. No, I got it. I got it. I got it. Don't worry. That's the giver. The leader, the administrator would be like this. Jim, get a mop. Sue and Jill, fix a new dessert. Bob and Joe, look into getting one of those dessert carts so this don't happen next time. That's the leader, the administrator. You see it? You see the difference? And the mercy person would be there, there. Don't worry about it. Things like that happen to everyone. And besides, we don't need dessert. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Yeah. <laughs> so do you see the differences? You see all of these differences? And so we have all of these differences in this big, beautiful body of Christ that we call the church. Look at your neighbor and say, you might not be like me, but I still need you. Tell them that. You might not be like me, but I still need you. But I still need you. Amen. Amen. We need each other. We feed each other. We take care of each other. We support one another. We encourage one another. Hopefully, and the whole goal of what I was trying to share with you here today, hopefully this has helped us understand why? And some of you, as I've been teaching, you've thought, oh, well, that's, that's, that's John Edwards. <laughs> right? Encourager. <laughs> Go Patriots. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to make him mad now. Um, <laughs> but see, that's, that's what we've got to learn how to love one another as we are. We've got to give each other permission to be who God made us. Nobody can do you better than you. God made you the way you are because He wants you to be how you are. Okay? And so embrace the good, build on it, and allow God to insert you into the body of Christ. And when you get there, function with excellence in the place that God has given you. Quit 
trying to be something God never intended for you to be. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those who helped to give to keep the gospel moving forward. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description or visit jvorse.org for more information. Please share, like, subscribe if you enjoyed our podcast. Take a screenshot and tag us at Lakewood Family Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.